Hello everyone and welcome back to the second episode of My Curiously Queer Life. I'm so happy that you came back. Creating this has not been easy. It's been a lot of trial, error. It feels really weird talking to nobody essentially in the room, but I hope that there's maybe a few of you out there that are getting a kick out of my uh, strange life leading up into this moment. Um, I know with every episode I will I will get better at this and I hope that you stick it out and together we can grow and uh, create something beautiful. So here is episode two, season one of my curiously queer life. Chapter two, two become three, become four, become seven. During the first two years of my life, my mother and I enjoyed life together, residing in Ontario before eventually making the decision to move to British Columbia. It was during this time that my mother discovered an unsettling truth. My father had impregnated another woman. The specifics of this situation, such as whether my brother was six months prior or after, remain unclear to me. Nevertheless, this revelation undoubtedly brought immense sorrow to my mother as her life had already been marked by a series of disappointing men and manipulation. However, true to her resilience, my mother faced the challenges head-on. She pushed forward, raising me on her own and allowing my father to pursue his responsibilities with his other family. Unfortunately, this pattern of attracting the wrong men into our lives continues, as it will become evident in various other stories. It appears my family has a knack for choosing the wrong individuals, people who are not suited for us. While memories of my early years are scarce, one fond memory remains etched in my mind. We would often embark on an adventure to climb those steep hills in New Westminster to visit my beloved Uncle Mark, Aunt Betty, and my cousin Christy. Their home was a sanctuary, adorned with vibrant toys on the patio and covered by plants. It was a toy jungle where happiness thrived, and its influence remains with me today. Perhaps that's why my apartment has become my own plant-filled haven, my sole recharging station. It's where I find solace and security. As scattered and unclear my memories are of this time, I know that she relocated us to British Columbia with the intention of being closer to her brother Mark and his new family. It was during this time that she encountered another man and became pregnant once again adding a second child to her already challenging circumstance. This news was undoubtedly difficult for her to hear, especially considering the struggles she had already been facing with her first child. Being a single mother in the 1980s was already looked down upon, but becoming a single mother of two intensified the scrutiny and challenges that she would encounter. As I mentioned in the previous chapters, my mother was not supposed to be able to conceive. The cyst on her ovaries had ruptured in her younger years, leaving the doctor skeptical about any possibility of her having children. This added another layer of complexity to her love, which could often be overwhelming. And yet, here we are, two children in her care, as yet another partner slipped away into the shadows. How is my mother supposed to shoulder the responsibility of raising two children alone? Recently, my uncle Mark innovatively revealed that my mother had once considered putting my sister up for adoption. The revelation shattered my sister, causing her deep pain. It wasn't so much about the prospect of adoption. It was a belief that my sister held that my mother loved me more than her. It was a painful realization that she had always felt but never dared to acknowledge. But, more on that later, 
Let's return to the core of the story. Two become three. And through pictures, memories, and tales shared by our loved ones, we were indeed a happy trio. My mother speaks fondly of the love I showered upon my little sister. The unbreakable bond we shared was... magical. She was not just my little sister, she was my best friend, my protector throughout the tumultuous teenage years. Looking back, I wonder if it unsettled my mom to have to share the one male figure in her life who brought her immense joy. After all, she had experienced her fair share of heartbreak and disappointment in her relationships with men so far. The idea of my mom loving me more than my sister became an ongoing narrative, echoing throughout the years. Family dynamics are complex, and despite my mother's unwavering love for both of her children, I can't help but feel that our relationships were a constant balancing act. I, the one male in her life who stayed, who loved her unconditionally, and my sister, yearning for the same level of love and affection that my mom showered upon me. It was a delicate dance, one that sometimes left my mother feeling left out, and my sister longing for the overflowing love. Yet, I hold no resentment towards either of these women. I am grateful for the strengths passed down to me by my mother, but I am also mindful of the unhealthy relationship patterns that accompany them. It was a legacy of complicated bonds with men, and the subsequent chapter of my life would introduce a new dimension, my mother's relationship with women. But I digress. We three settled into our new home in Surrey, a modest brown townhouse with three bedrooms, 1.5 bathrooms, and a yard with endless possibilities for adventure. The neighborhood was a hub of activity, buzzing with laughter and energy of countless children. Right next door lived my best friend Sam, and as far as my memory serves, his mother and mine shared a very warm friendship. My mom loved being a mom. She was so good at it. She would have the kids in the neighborhood line up at the kitchen window to get ice cream. It was the ice cream shop for all the neighborhood. She would dress up as a clown and surprise us at her birthday parties. She was always helping out at school. I honestly don't remember a time that my mom was this happy. Christmas was always a grand occasion in our household. It began with the delightful tradition of waking up to find our stockings thoughtfully placed in our rooms. Restless with excitement, my sister and I would eagerly await my mom's call which was a signal for us to descend down the widening staircase that led to the main living room area. It was a moment filled with anticipation and excitement, as we imagined what surprises Santa had left for us. As we made our way downstairs, the sound of Dolly Parton's cheerful Christmas melodies filled the air, adding an extra layer of mirth and cheer. The tree, adorned with vibrant lights and ornaments, shone bright as the sun, and there, standing in the center of it all, was my mother, radiant, with an unmistakable aura of love and joy. The living room was transformed into a magical wonderland. It was brimming with beautifully wrapped presents that seemed to have multiplied overnight. Looking back, I often marvel at how my mother managed to create such a spectacular display. Despite any financial constraints we faced, especially during other times of the year, Christmas was a time my mother's resourcefulness and love allowed us to feel anything but poor or lacking. It was a testament to our unwavering dedication to ensuring our happiness and creating unforgettable memories. Life at the Timberland Complex seemed idyllic, but it wasn't without its dark moments. One chilling incident echoed throughout the corridors of our community. A man committed a heinous act, attacking his own mother with an axe before finding refuge with inside our townhome. In those tense moments, my mom relied on my small hands to unlock the door and let her in. 
a testament to the bond and trust we shared. I can hear her now. TJ, it's mommy. You have to let me in. Her words so gentle and kind, but direct and powerful at the same time. Then came the unsettling encounter with the couple in the white van, an experience etched deeply into my memory. It was a sunny day and my sister and I were engrossed in our favorite pastime of catching grasshoppers in the field behind our townhouse. During our innocent play, I happened to glance up and notice a man and a woman on the far side of the field. They were pointing in our direction. It seemed weird because it was just us and them. Something about their demeanor seemed off, sending chills down my spine. Without fully comprehending the danger at hand, I swiftly grabbed my sister's hand and urged her to run. Fear gripped us tightly as we sprinted towards the safety of our home, each heartbeat echoing in our ears like drumbeats of panic. The pursuit by the strangers intensified, their intentions remaining unclear. We maneuvered through gates, climbing fences, and even darting underneath them in a frantic attempt to escape their clutches. Adrenaline surged through our veins, and our only solace being the tight grip of each other's hands. Finally, we reached the sanctuary of our mother's presence. That experience forever altered our understanding of security and the fragility of our lives. I can still recall my mother's protective instincts kicking in as she ventured into the complex to confront the strangers, driven by a mix of concern and anger. Their explanation of mistaken identity felt hollow and insincere, leaving an unsettling residue of something far more sinister behind their actions. It's crazy how traumatic moments have a way of etching themselves deeply into our minds, leaving a lasting impact that can be felt even decades later. Are the joyful moments that bring immediate happiness? Their memories often fade gracefully into the background of our consciousness. They sit behind the scars of the trauma like dreams. As life settled and we found our way back to whatever we once had, although it was never quite the same, the universe intervened and brought my mom face to face with a man named Peter. Her fears of having to raise two kids on her own cast aside for a short time, putting her mind to ease. The safety of a man at this point was very appealing, and before I get clocked by people, this was the 1980s, and a husband and wife combo was the norm. Plus, my mom had been rocking out as a single mother on her own for quite some time by this point. And the support and love something she needed very much. Peter was the true embodiment of the 80s rock scene. With his average height, tousled brown hair, a mullet, and a mustache that seemed to carry secrets of its own, he exuded 80s coolness. It's amusing how memories work, as if frozen in time. In my recollections, Peter is forever clad in a gray crop top and tight blue jeans wearing that cartoonish mustache. Even now, if he were to appear, I couldn't help but expect him to don that iconic outfit again. It's a quirky detail that never fails to bring a smile to my face. As my mom and Peter fell in love and eventually got married, it felt like all the missing puzzle pieces had finally fallen into place. With the addition of Peter, we became a real family. Mom, dad, sister, and brother. However, my relationship with Peter was always a bit strained. He tried his best to step into the role of a father figure, but deep down, I resented the idea of him being my dad. I remember being forced to sit at the table to finish eating these cabbage rolls, which I found absolutely repulsive. 
It was something my mom would never have made me do. Even though I held on to my resentment, I stubbornly sat there, refusing to eat these disgusting cabbage rolls. To this day, I refuse to eat those cabbage rolls. Cabbage roll trauma. <laughs> then came the time when Peter sat me down and demanded that I accept him as my father. But I was adamant of not letting him play that role in my life. On the other hand, my sister seemed to accept Peter as her own father without any reservations. There seemed a perfect bond, which suited me just fine because I can now have my mom all to myself. I no longer had to share her with the mustache man in a crop top. Peter did his best to navigate being part of a family that wasn't his own, and I have to give him credit for that. My mother came from a dark place, and where mental health was highly stigmatized. In those days, talking about your struggles or seeking help was considered taboo. Instead, people resorted to self-medicating and suffering in silence. But amidst all the challenges, there was a silver lining. We gained more family. I had the privilege of gaining two new grandparents in my life. Grandma Peter would take me and my sister to Woodward's, where she would spoil us and buy us peach gummies, or she would take us home and make us tea, and she would let me add excessive amounts of sugar. They even had a swimming pool in their basement, and Grandma Peter would quickly find old towels and make my sister and I bathing suits so we could enjoy the pool as much as we want. It was truly amazing. Fortunately, my maternal grandparents were not as kind. My grandfather on my mother's side was a vile and heartless being. He preyed upon his own children. He inflicted suffering on his wife, my mom, and all her siblings. My blood grandma? She was burdened with schizophrenia, a severe mental illness that distorts one's perception of reality. This illness runs in our family, and I believe it affects everyone in my family to some extent. As a result, my grandmother was passed from one family to another when the burden became too much. I don't remember much about her personality, as she was often distant due to the medication she had to take. What I do recall is an image of her sitting by the window, lost in her own thoughts. Her one leg crossed over the other, bouncing frantically like she was impatiently waiting for something. And smoking. Always smoking. I remember my mom telling me to give grandma a kiss, and I would avoid it like crazy because her face prickled so much. She passed away shortly after that time. Part of me hopes that maybe she found some peace before she passed, or some clarity, some happiness, some joy. You can only imagine how hard her life was. My mother's life was fraught with dark corners, moments of profound sadness and harrowing experiences. It is truly astonishing that she not only endured it all, but she emerged strong and resilient. Our once gleaming family of four seemed to take a wrong turn somewhere along the way. The idyllic image of my picture-perfect grandparents making us swimsuits, sharing walks to the store while sipping sweet tea began to fade. And then, one day, Peter was gone. A sudden absence that left a poignant void. Although I don't recall the feeling of an overwhelming sadness at the time, I could sense the weight of the loss on my sister's shoulders. The sting of his absence lingered with her, a constant reminder of the love that was once abruptly severed. This junction marked the beginning of a new chapter, as my mother left Peter behind and embarked on her new journey alongside Wendy, opening the door to a family now expanded to seven.
our quiet, heteronormative family of four very quickly became a very seen, a very queer family of seven. I am so grateful for all this. I look forward to uh, letting go, sharing these other chapters with everyone, and maybe sharing some of your stories. I hope to get an email at some point so people can write in their stories, their comments, their concerns, and I can read them on episodes and we can talk about them. I will get very boring very quickly if they're just my stories, and this is not supposed to be about me. It is the foundation of a bigger story about all of us. So that's it for this week, guys. Thank you for listening once again. As always, navigate through the shadows, discover happiness, replenish your souls, and spread the abundance to those around you. I am Thomas St. James, and this is my wonderfully queer life. (laughs) 